Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on September the 14th, 2011. For newcomers, help yourself to the audios which are available for a free download at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and maybe you'll get shortcuts to understanding this big system, this overarching system. It's really one system with many, many branches that run the world as a sort of parallel government, a super, a super government, you might say. It's been here for a long time. And it's only now they're starting to hint that they're actually there, actually, officially, that is. But in the past, in their own books, they admitted it as such uh, when they wrote their biographies, especially because they've got big egos, these big players, the ones who designed your current uh, lifestyle, culture, society, and uh, work or lack of. Uh, these guys designed it a long time ago, and they're still going on with the future, too, as they, they've got it all planned out, too, for the next 100, maybe 200 years, if you read a lot of their documentation. 50-year plans, 100-year plans, 150-year plans. This is how they work, like a big corporate business. And we're living through it, and whatever societal changes they bring about, a society is decided by them, not by just the the guys at the bottom that introduce it to you, such as the arts and entertainments and uh, your schooling, etc. But it's done really from the top down. All culture is promoted from the top down. All changes is from the top down as well. So give yourself a good education into the big system that runs the world and you'll understand the the true enemy of of humanity because it is, it wants to use you, profit off you, shape shape you, abuse you and then dump you, literally dump you when they've dried you out of everything they can squeeze from you. That's literally, they're very pragmatic, that's what they would say about themselves, very pragmatic and they have no conscience whatsoever. So... Remember that you're the audience that bring me to you. You can help me uh, just trickle along by uh, buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can use a personal check or you can use an international postal money order from the post office. You can also use PayPal and you can also just send cash. Uh, you'll find out how to do it at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. And you... Uh, I'll send the stuff out to you as fast as I can. Remember, too straight, the nations are awfully, awfully welcome. And these days of supposed austerity, which is a nice term for poverty, and hand-me-downs. Come back to the old hand-me-downs era. It's not too bad for me. I was born in a country where you could have lived on hand-me-downs and didn't think anything of it. Anything can be thought to be normal and taught to be normal if you're born into it, actually. And across the rest of the world, remember, you've got MoneyGram, Western Union, again, PayPal, if you want to help out. So there's a lot of folk abroad, uh, get in touch. I get thousands of emails all the time uh, from people who tell me they're broke across the world. And that's a sad thing because this is a global depression that's been brought about to to be taken advantage of. As the big boys say, how can we use this this terrible thing for our, to our advantage? So they always say that, the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, and it's because they bring on the terrible thing to start with, and they know how they're going to take it and make it use it for their own advantage before it even happens. You've got to bring this world into austerity 
and create crisis in order to get the public to accept. Now, it doesn't take much now with the public, if, if you notice. They're kind of, it's like, it's like flies in a hot summer's day, just kind of, you know, staggering around. That's how they are. They're punch drunk. They're entertained to death. And they're really out of touch with any kind of reality. And so I try and go through uh, the different factions and factors involved in making it all happen. It's not as complicated as you might think. As I say, it's been here for an awful, awful long time. And this is the new feudal system that was talked about by the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the CFR literally 80 to 100 years ago. A new feudalism under the guise of democracy. And uh, you've been taught how to go along with it. Back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. And it truly is a matrix because there's so many compartments to it. You're taught really to look at the local departments, the ones that are down near your own, what you think is your own level, actually slightly above you, like the media and uh, entertainment and uh, even education for that matter. And that's what you concentrate on. And we go, ooh, and we go, ah, and that's, that's wrong. And somebody should do something. There's always somebody should do something about that. And... In a reality, you see, it's way above that. It's above government, too. Government does not listen to the public, the general public. Not that the public asks them much. They're called the silent majority, and they're quite content, generally, with the way things are. And um, in fact, they adapt very quickly to the new normals, which are launched all the time. And it's interesting that I used that term a few years back, and now even mainstream is using new normals, as they admit they're bringing in new normals. But anyway... We adapt all the time. In reality, as I say, this is a plan, a big plan, uh, definitely made out, laid out, not by happenstance, but by people who joined a club uh, a long time ago and decided to take the world over. Not just take it over, but they decided being the elite of the day, the money bags of the day too, and having held on to the money and, and the bags as well for centuries, that they had the right to rule the world. And they said that those... Uh, who, who came up, the Novu rich who came up and lost the cash in the first generation because of wayward children. They were not included in the club. You have to have held on to the cash for a long time and followed daddy's footsteps, basically. Plus, the intermarried, uh, very close kin as well, still do today. But they came up with the idea that they were obviously superior and they tied it in with the, the Darwinian idea of um, really does this natural selection, but special selection. You select your mate on purpose, nothing to do with romance or anything like that, or lust, but basically simply to produce progeny. But it had to be come from a woman who also came from a long lineage of very successful families. And therefore they interbred their psychopathy amongst themselves and decided they were the elites. Now, uh, we would call them a psychopath. They would say that they, they are simply the elite, they're the natural elite. That's what they say. They don't see themselves as psychopathic. Uh, they will say they're pragmatic and they make uh, very pragmatic decisions and they don't get let emotion uh, get in the way of it. They have a goal or an agenda, like taking over countries and all the wealth of those countries, which they've been doing since the days of Cecil Rhodes and before, actually, but at least Cecil, Cecil Rhodes wrote about it. He was part of it. He worked for them. 
And Carol Quigley, Professor Carol Quigley, the historian for the CFR and his Anglo-American establishment, actually went through their history and, and said they, they created wars. They created wars and got whole countries fooled, listed populations. And then they'd bring in the big armies, just like they do today, to save the people and take over all of the mineral resources, oil and everything else. They have to have gold, silver, whatever, diamonds. And it's still going on today under the guise of uh, humanitarian intervention, even though the head of the Council on Foreign Relations admitted, and I've read it on the air here from his own CFR blog, uh, that it had nothing to do with that. They used that as an excuse. They admitted that they used that as an excuse to go into Libya and uh, slaughter the folk there by helping them, slaughtering and bombing them, you see. But that's meant for the general public who never think through things, unfortunately. They can't really believe that there are monsters in their midst or even running over or ruling over them. And running us over is the best, the better, the better of the two. But anyway, that's how it really is in this wicked old world. And part of it, too, is tied in with the concept of Marxism. Uh, they, they really coupled together Darwinism, who actually was one of them in a previous uh, uh, name for the same organization, and Marx, who also belonged, and they knew each other very well, Marx and Darwin. And they, they decided they had to destroy totally uh, the structure and fabric of, of societies that held them together in order to dominate the people completely. And that meant the complete eradication of almost all religions and also the complete destruction of the family unit. Uh, some of the Marxists, later Marxists, who worked for the Frankfurt Institute, uh, like Theodore Adorno, uh, said that they actually would be happy. They didn't know they succeeded when they, they brought in a form of necrophilia, the, the sexual depravity down to the, the nth degree, and that's been pretty well fulfilled. In fact, it's standard fare, apparently, for most folk with cable television. So, it is pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope not to give you freedoms, not to give you rights, but simply to destroy all that was to bring in the new. And we're well on our way. In fact, we're past the point of no return, to be honest with you, because it's much, much harder to institute any kind of uh, natural uh, self-preservation uh, in morality once you've destroyed it all. See, the point of it is, is, is to eradicate your self-preservation. That's the real point. If it also fulfills the goals of bringing down populations, which you're awfully happy at with the, the World Economic Forum, they were prattling on about that too, how some nations, are, quite a few nations now, are beyond the point of no return. They're not replacing the adults that are there today, and they're plummeting. And they want the whole world to be like that, apparently. Now, part of it too is to, as I say, literally, literally destroy all concepts of decency, and you must have decency in a society. You understand societies never had police at one time. You didn't need police because everyone knew the basic tribal rules. And even in cultures uh, that were pretty old and supposedly advanced, like Britain, uh, even when I was young, you didn't need many police at all because everyone knew the basic rules. And the, the taboos, as they call them, normal taboos, that's what kept society going and not falling apart or people turning around and murdering your neighbors all the time were all these little taboos. And you dealt with uh, any problems that came up often within society itself. Uh, and often the police would turn a blind eye uh, when things were had to be done. But today it's gone so far as to say when the majority of the public, whether they know it or not, are actually perverted. 
they've been perverted through uh, the culture industry, which is a great tool, a massive tool, a very important tool of changing and altering society into the next phase and the next phase and the next phase. Because imagination works wonders on it. The, the, the image, the image, so you worship the image, the image is an imagination, it's in your head. And I've often said the mind has no firewalls, and if you ever forget that, you've had it. Well, there's always an ulterior motive for entertainment. And even Plato talked about entertainment. That's how, even in his day, they guided the changes in society. Always on behalf of the rulers, mind you. Never grassroots, as they say. Now, I've mentioned this article before that ties in with this, because this is the next step, you see. Yeah, it's like having a building with lots of pillars in it. You knock one pillar down, and it's much easier to knock down the other ones. It weakens all the other ones. Then you, then you compare the one you have knocked down. Why isn't this one knocked down? That one is. And yeah, I guess you're right, and that's how it works. It's very simple. Predators with PhDs, and uh, I mentioned the article at the time when the meeting was held. It says the latest offensive against morality, decency, and sanity in America has been launched by a pro-pedophilia group and several academics who openly advocate for the normalization and legalization of pedophilia, referring to Judeo-Christian moral principles as and values as cultural baggage of wrongfulness. So they're always attacking. See, your religion is pretty like it or not. That's where you got basically a lifestyle where everyone had the, knew the basic rules so that you could survive as a people. So it's cultural baggage now. They've also, by the way, changed the, the BC, uh, before Christ idea, into BCE in Australia by law in the schools. You can't say that. So a particular group wanted it done because they've been using the term BCE for an awful long time, and they got their way. So you can't say BC anymore. On August the 17th of this year, the pro-pedophilia group is called Before You Act, sponsored an event in Baltimore attended by researchers, professors, mental health professionals, and minor attracted persons. It says MAP MAP, a euphemism for adults who crave sex with children. Uh, these individuals endorse the adult molestations of children, consider this sexual perversion as normal, and advocate for the declassification of pedophilia as a mental illness by the American Psychiatric Association. Maybe they should ask the public what they think. No, no. So you're, you're run by experts now. Uh, you, you'll, you'll never meet a psychiatrist that's normal. They're, they're the weirdest wackos uh, that's ever existed on the planet. So the academic uh, panelists who presented this pedophilia-friendly scientific symposium came from such distinguished institutions as John Hopkins University, Albert Einstein College of Medicine, Harvard Medical School, and the London School of Economics and Political Science. Well, a lot of them came from Oxford as well, so it kind of fits in. According to a press release issued by Matt Barber, Vice President of the Liberty Council Action, Dr. Judith Reisman, she's done excellent uh, exposés on on how this whole project has gone on over the years. And she goes into the Kinsey farcical reports, the ones that Hollywood made a hero of Kinsey. It was an utter perv, and he, he, he basically got into anything, any kind of gender, and, and even paid uh, professional pedophiles, who worked for the government, by the way, to go around orphanages and bugger babies, literally. I'm not, this is buggers, literally. It's a legal term. And he'd buck her babies with a stopwatch to see if they cried or not and how long it would take and all that stuff. And you'll see it in her excellent uh, exposés of it and old documentation. 
Anyway, she's visiting law professor at Liberty University School of Law. She attended the event. Several admitted pedophiles were in attendance, in addition to many academics and university professors. The keynote address was given by Dr. Fred Berlin of John Hopkins University, who proclaimed that he wants to completely support the goal of Before You Act. And this is what came out of it, um, these assertions. Pedophiles are unfairly stigmatized and demonized by society. Unfairly, you know. The majority of pedophiles are gentle and rational. Very rational to do that to children. There was concern about vice-laden diagnostic criteria and cultural baggage of wrongfulness. We're not required to interfere with or inhibit our child's sexuality. Children are not inherently unable to consent to sex with an adult, meaning that they are able, they're claiming here. I guess the baby goes goo-ga-ga-ga, you know, or something before they scream. Yeah? An adult's desire to have sex with children is normative. You all know that, don't you? I'm sure all of you out there know that, right? This is from PhDs, folks, because this is the agenda. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix and just talking about, this is a, they have this meeting every year, I can remember the previous ones too, same thing, to, to normalize it and at least get the idea into folks' heads so that when it's actually made law it will seem quite natural to them. And most of them won't have children anyway, or they've given them away, or they've killed them before birth. That, that's the society you're in. And, this goes on, this, art, this article here, it says, this is a list of things that the, the pedophiles are, are claiming. They say that um, uh, our society should maximize individual liberty. And that's what I'm saying. I've said that before. Obviously, if one group says this is a sexual preference, what's wrong with the next group saying, well, this is our sexual preference too? I mean, uh, what are you going to say to them? Yeah. In essence, we have a highly moralistic society that is not consistent with liberty. In Western culture, sex is taken too seriously. Anglo-American standard on age of consent is new and puritanical. In Europe, it was always set at 10 or 12, which is nonsense. Ages of consent beyond that are relatively new and very strange, especially for boys. They've always been able to have sex at any age. Really, well, if pedophiles are doing things to you, whether you like it or not, they're, they're going to do it. I guess that's, that would be true for them. Assuming children are unable to consent lends itself to criminalization and stigmatization. A consensus belief by both speakers and pedophiles in attendance was that because it vilifies MAPS, pedophilia should be removed as a mental disorder from the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders in the same manner as homosexuality was removed in 1973. And that was a political pressure that moved it and not by what they claimed was their science of psychiatry. If it was a science, you couldn't change the science, but, well, politics did it. It says, there's no greater moral imperative than the protection of the innocent, especially defenseless children. These timeless and universal truths are embedded in the Judeo-Christian principles uh, and moral precepts uh, union, which American society and legal system are based. Any adult, especially university professor or medical doctor who cannot grasp such elementary morality has no business teaching, counseling, or treating anyone, especially dangerous predators, with an appetite for children. What, I mean, you just think, if that's a sexual preference, and they're, and they're using other ones who've already got rights, 
um, probably the ones that want to kill the children after they've had sex with them. That's their, that's what turns them on, you know. That's their preference. You understand how you can't go down the slippery slope? What the academics are doing that is providing comfort and support for child rapists and molesters is unconscionable and unethical. Instead of helping to suppress these abusers' sick desires, correct their delusional attractions and moderate or hopefully cure their mental illness, these professionals sympathize with the, the prophet monsters and minimize the evil they perpetrate. Rather than work to suppress the abomination in these pedophiles' minds and souls, the academics stroke the warped passions with the fuel of justification, rationalization, and normalization. Well, you see, there's no cure for it as such. There's no cure as such. There's been things that have been done before, but no real cure. And the ones that get out of prison generally reoffend, even if they've been in for 30 years. They, they just go straight back to it. It's their little secret world, you know, of, of, of infancy. That's what they try to live in. And like any psych, it's a psychopathic thing too, because after they've raped the child, they'll justify why they raped them, saying the child wanted to do this in their little imaginative Disneyland world that they live in. Oh, the child really loved me. That's what they'll tell you. Anyway, as says, and the treachery doesn't stop. There academics like Fred Berlin, MD, PhD, Nancy Nyquist, Potter, PhD, and others are also attempting to destroy societal protections of children by pushing to declassify this dangerous perversion as a mental illness and decriminalize the behavior of, in essence, they advocate the elimination of statutory rape and sexual offender registration laws designed to protect minors from being sexually exploited by adults, thus removing the ability of the state to punish and incarcerate these monsters. How many other potential predators who previously suppressed their lust for fear of incarceration, societal rebuke, and sexual predator registration laws will now be encouraged to succumb to their perverse impulses, cheered on and defended by credentialed academics and fully protected by neutered legal system? Well, well, we'll get past the neutered bit. Anyway, that's really what's going on, as I say. But it's, it's in concert, this, act, this actual meeting. Uh, with uh, articles coming out of the United Nations who are actually pushing for it too worldwide and other and even other groups across the world who belong to their own form of map, as they call it, uh, such as in Holland. They've had to have little demonstrations, about four of them, I think, in Holland, uh, who uh, are pushing for the same thing. So they want it decriminalized. And I get that their children are up for grab, you know. I guess they bring candy and, and ice cream and things like that, you know. But that's the, world, that's the world that you're really living in. And uh, even in Canada, we've had a, a similar thing happen here too just recently where a, a woman gave birth to a child. Uh, she tossed it over a, some, a neighbor's fence, I guess, just to let them clear up the mess. And she was let go by the judge who stated that it was, it was basically... Um, it's close to abortion, close, close enough not to have anything done about it. So uh, I, she's been given three years suspended sentence, and uh, that's the start of something new. Uh, so when you have your child, if you didn't go for abortion, then you change your mind. You just toss it over your fence into someone else's uh, garden, and, um, and it's, it's okay. It's, it's close to abortion. So that's it. Live births are now for your game. Uh, for, for, it's interesting too. One top abortionist said some, something similar where he said that if the child's about three days old, he said that he, that he wanted to go ahead and change the laws and so he could still kill them at three, three days old. But I'll talk about this when I come back from this break. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix. And just reading uh, an article here from Ontario to show you how precedents are made, because this is a precedent for across the country, obviously, and other countries will follow very quickly. Nothing happens by itself in a country. It's always meant to be international. It takes off, if you haven't noticed, your whole life long. Anyway, it says that the judge defends infanticide by comparing it to abortion. Inciting Canada's abortion laws, an Edmonton appeal court uh, ruled that an Alberta woman who strangled her son with her underwear after secretly giving birth in 2005 will face no guaranteed jail time. Katrina Effort was sentenced Friday for killing her newborn and then throwing the body over a fence into the neighbor's yard on April 13, 2005, when she was 19. She was given a three-year suspended sentence by Judge Joanne Vitz, uh, whereby, uh, wherein if she abides by the court's decisions for the next three years, uh, I guess that's if you don't throw any more babies over fences or neighbors, she will not spend time behind bars. And it says... Um, uh, CBC notes the justification given by the judge for such an astounding sentence. The fact that, and this is what she says, the, ca- the fact that Canada has no abortion laws reflects that while many Canadians undoubtedly view abortion as a less than ideal solution to unprotected sex and unwanted pregnancy, they generally understand, accept and sympathize with the owner's demands pregnancy and childbirth extract from mothers, especially mothers without support, she writes. You understand the whole culture is kaput. You understand it was meant to go this way because in the United Nations Charter, too, and many, many of their talks and, and their, on the, and their articles and their websites, they say they must destroy the individual. That also means destroying individual responsibility for your own actions. And the state will take care of everybody, you see. And it says here, the judge noted that infanticide laws and sentencing guidelines were not altered when the government made many changes to the criminal code in 2005, which she says shows that Canadians view the law as a fair compromise of all the interests involved. Naturally, Canadians are grieved by an infant's death, especially at the hands of the infant's mother, but Canadians also grieve for the mother. Actually, Canadians are like most folk today, where they've had, God knows how many years of state-paid abortions. There's no value now to having children. That's the the truth of it. Children, we've been told for many, many, are a burden, terrible burden. That's what Charles Galton Darwin has said in his book, Next Million Years, that we can convince the mothers to go and get cars and and jobs rather than have children will achieve their ends. And so so material goods are far more important than having children. Children really, when when you abort so many annually, how can you turn around and say we care about children? It doesn't wash, does it? We don't like children anyhow, eh? Isn't that how it goes, that song? The judge also rejected arguments that the single father and the grandparents also face the same stress as the mind as a mother who kills her own baby. Anyway, the, the defense lawyer, Peter Royal, said it was unjust and almost mean to incarcerate her for the 16 days of jail time she must still serve for throwing her son's body over a fence. And that's just a sign of where you're going. You're going to see a lot more in the, in the near future, too, because you're not supposed to be responsible for your own actions. The state's supposed to always pick up the tab and, and take over your life and, and make you do all the, the, the state's things. for you know That's how it works. And this sort of communistic system at the bottom with the fascists at the top. And this article here too is again uh, all comes out at the same time 
as I say, that they're having the meetings at the United Nations to, to further destroy what's left of any human decency. And it says the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services is offering advice to parents and teens about sex education, including assurances that teens may experiment with homosexuality as part of exploring their own sexuality and that masturbation should be of concern only if a child seems preoccupied with it to the exclusion of other activities. So that means, I guess, if they stop playing with their little game boxes and things. The information located on questions and answers about sex linked on the Quick Guide to Healthy Living portion of the HHS website also describes children and infants as this ties in with the, last, the, the previous uh, articles two articles well, about um, children being able to consent to, to sex also describes children and infants as sexual beings you see this is this is your department of health and human services the u.s department right? under the question of when do they call it kids a kid's a young goat by the way that was part of what lenin says you got to dehumanize the enemy start becoming curious about sex the answer notes that infants have curiosity about their bodies. They're taking the Freudian approach there. So uh, children are human beings and therefore sexual beings, the Q&A web page says. It's hard for parents to acknowledge this, but just as hard for kids to think of their parents as sexually active. But even infants have curiosity about their own bodies, which is healthy and normal, but they generally get over that, you know. And then it goes masturbation and what sort of sexual behavior do young children exhibit. Parents should only be concerned about masturbation. If a child seems preoccupied, blah, 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 blah. Victims of sexual abuse sometimes become preoccupied with self-stimulation. And then it goes into sexual attraction and orientation and all the different things you can choose from these days, I guess. But that's, understand, what I'm saying here is that this was not something that came out of the blue. I've lived long enough to watch the big movements that were financed by the foundations and, and would demonstrate on the streets by the same crew all the time. And I've watched it get pushed step by step by step. Big money, big money, big agenda. And uh, this is how you bring a society down. Look at the, all the ancient cultures. Greece was the same at the end, so was Rome. And here you are today, uh, so that those who rule have more power over ruling you because of the chaos that it causes. And that's how you destroy cultures. Most wars, most more countries have been taken down by economic wars. Those with the money decide the rules, you see. And they decide the court systems and they get their appointees into politics and everywhere else they want to put them because they have all the contacts and the cash. But that's how you destroy countries. Quite easy to do. There's nothing difficult in it at all. So... That's part of how you bring down society. You must destroy it at its very foundations. And when children are not safe, you've pretty well won. You've, you've pretty well won then. That's it. See, life's becoming so cheap, and it ties in again with the euthanasia clinics they want to open in Britain. Oh, you've had enough come in here, and we'll dispose of you very cheaply too. And uh, that kind of thing is going on, on across the world. This is all coordinated together. Life is cheap. We are a renewable resource. Even though most folk are becoming infertile, sterile actually, at an early age, because we've been poisoned and inoculated to make it so, it's still not fast enough. Because these guys have got timetables. They've got a nice pristine planet by the year 2050 so they can go out with their hounds you know, and their horses and chase the foxes uh, without seeing peasants all over the place and rags. And you think I'm kidding. You think I'm kidding. Another way, too, the big boys take it over is by taking over, making laws, international laws, of course, because they create the international groups, like the G20 and G8, all the, all the Gs, all the Gs are inside the masonry, you know. 
and it says that foreigners have a stake in 11% of the farmland. It sounds, well, it's only 11%. And this is in Australia. It says foreign investors have a stake in more than 10% of the nation's farmland and 9% of valuable agricultural water entitlements. So foreigners own your water and now they're taking over your land. Amid a debate over selling the farm, the Bureau of Statistics said yesterday 45 million hectares, 11% of Australia's farming land, was at least partly foreign-owned. That's quite the sum, 45 million hectares. And the first official figures in the topic more than 25 years was also revealed that 1,169 gigalitres of water entitlements were owned by businesses with a foreign interest. Well, just wait until they own it all, because you see, that's the world they've decided to bring in. They don't want small farms. They've, they've demolished the US and Canada with small farms by harassing them with, with fees and, and legalities and inspectors. Because only the big agribusinesses, the five biggies, must be left to dominate the world, which is pretty well done. There's massive tracts of Australia, great farm, and New Zealand going up too for, for sale. Incredible old, old farms, big ones, dairy producers, a whole lot, because it's, there, there's so many penalties coming on them at home. But of course, the, the foreign ownerships will be, they'll be exempt from these particular things. People have gone on and on about Wi-Fi and what Wi-Fi does. There's no doubt about it. A microwave is not good for the body or the brain or anything else for that matter. It doesn't, it shouldn't be in, in society, in the air and the, the levels that it is. But, um, it's interesting too. They put up, they used to have satellite towers in a lot of schools and they took down the satellites and put up these, these new Wi-Fi, huge, big, tall antennas. And uh, they would get their signal, I guess, from the big cell phone towers that are all over the place. And then they started getting children sick in schools. Well, the ordinary folk who pay their taxes and have no option but to send their children to school, uh, without, you know, not the rich schools, uh, they, they'll continue with them getting sick and all. Actually, they get a bit dumb, I think, too. I think you get dumb around Wi-Fi. But the private schools can do something about it. A private school in Ontario has cut its wireless internet network over concerns that technology causes health issues in students. Petty is Pretty River Academy in Collingwood, Ontario, private school with 150 students attending kindergarten to grade 12 as the first Ontario school to remove Wi-Fi from the campus. Actually, Europe, uh, the European Union actually, I think, made a decision too to start removing them from all schools. The school's old Wi-Fi system was taken out over the summer and replaced with Ethernet connections ahead of the first day of the school year. I mean, the World Health Organization said radio frequency radiation from Wi-Fi and cell phones pose a similar threat to DDT. I like how they, it's like being carbon, you know, just out of their imagination. It's far worse than DDT. And then lead and car exhaust. Principal's Roberta Murray Hirsch says the new hardwired internet system is actually faster than the previous system and gives teachers control over when students can go online. Murray Hurst said they did not receive any complaints from students or parents about health concerns, but decided to take the precautions anyway. Uh, we'd like to be proactive. I like this word. Every, if you work for a government in any capacity, right down to teacher level, you've got to be proactive, you know. And obviously safety is always a concern, she said. The debate over wireless internet in Ontario schools grew heated last summer when a group of elementary school teachers attempted to have the technology banned from classrooms in the Niagara region. The Mountain Teachers of Federation of Ontario voted in 2010 to keep wireless internet. In August, the, vote, the group voted to establish a committee for studying Wi-Fi in classrooms. A group called the Safe Schools Committee has also con- continued to push for a ban. As I say, Europe's already come out with it because they've admitted in school. It's okay to doze the children, or it's not okay, but adults can get dozed because they're, they're, they're making sure that it's all over the darn country.
wherever you go. Wherever you go. There's many types of weapons, you know, and most folk, if you like a thing, it's hard to describe it as a weapon, isn't it? And what's so handy, it's so, it's so darned handy, couldn't live without it as it kills you, you know. And as things get more and more ridiculous uh, with the police state, basically, I mentioned yesterday the biggest growth in this in the U.S. is government. And, of course, it's homeland security. It gets more and more myriads of bureaucracies and new types of uh, layers of cops and special, special cops and special, special, special cops and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you're going to see more and more ridiculous things happening in society. Once you have layers and layers of special, 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 special cops, then you've got to find new things for them to do. It's like this, the ordinary cops used to have to just turn them out on the, on the streets to bring in money for the government by ticketing folk. That's what you do with them. Find something. Anyway, they're now going after the Amish for, for their horse-drawn carts. So Amish were jailed for over uh, horse-drawn carts. It says, an Amish family in Pennsylvania, two pen, uh, it says, uh, nine Amish men were in the U.S. who refused to display an orange reflective triangle in their horse-drawn buggies, have been ordered to jail for not paying court-imposed fines. The men belonged to an ultra-conservative old order, Schwarzenegger Amish sect in western Kentucky, they object to the triangles because the bright color violates their modesty code. Maybe if you put one of these map signs on it, they'll let you go. The Courier Journal reports that the men say paying the fines would amount to complying with a law they believe violates their religious strictures. Well, I've got to tell you, folks, um, when Janet Rio, Janet Rio, that strange creature, uh, was in the U.S. government, she also mentioned, too, along with the, the, the woman who was the uh, that that's something general they have for health in the U.S. She wants she want, the black woman. She had to leave because she wanted children to have mass masturbation in the classroom <laughs> from the United Nations. No kidding. Yeah, that was the time of Janet Rio. Uh, I'm sure she wouldn't object to it either. And uh, and that's when they brought down the Waco Church. That was a big signal. These, you understand? You're looking at ritual here. You're looking at incredible ritual going on when you, this kind of thing has happened, and they go against a church. Uh, with bogus charges and really no previous conversations with them. Just didn't income the SWAT teams. They thought it would be a fast deal, just kill them all. And it took a, a while to drawn out drama to kill them all and kill them all they eventually did. And at the end you saw the BATF guys and the SWAT teams literally bowing to the flames. Did you ever remember that? Bowing to the flames. What, what religion do you think that belongs to? Eh? And what did the locals do around there, Waco? The, the townspeople in the cities, they put up signs to advertise it was a great thing that they were doing this, yada, 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 and come to their city and have a great time and all that kind of stuff as they burn down ordinary folk. That was a sign, a sign that religion now is gone. At least that religion is gone. Never mind the time before they went for Randy Weaver and then they brought snipers out, told in advance to kill his wife, which they did. She was holding the baby and they shot her. And then they promoted the guy eventually who actually sniped and killed her. That's the system you're in. If you think you want to keep that system, good luck to you. But I don't want to be around you, <laughs> personally. I'll put up a, a site tonight, too. It's called, all these links I'll put up at cuttingthroughmedics.com. It's called Top 10 Truly Bizarre Taxes. Quite interesting, down through the ages. There's a lot more, of course, because through playing cards and how that came in uh, centuries ago, you had, to, you had to actually pay the king a tax just to buy playing cards and the candy tax and and um, 
the Jock Tax, it was called as well, uh, for, for people who visited the city and made money while they were there. And Cowardice Tax, that came in as well, uh, during one of the King's times, and Henry the First, I think it was. And then there was a Hat Tax, and the Window Tax. I mentioned the Window Tax before, I used to think it was James I, but it wasn't, it was King William uh, of Orange, basically, the guy who came in to bring in the bankers with them into Britain from Holland. And that's literally the ones that are still running the show today. That's where the Orange Lodge comes from, one of the top uh, Masonic lodges. And the Baird tax, there was even a Baird tax. That was quite inventive, isn't it? Henry VIII, I think, brought that, brought that in, even though he had a beard himself. And it's quite uh, comical in a sense. It shows you that the, the, to get money, you can choose anything you want. You could have ear tax for waxy ears or, you know, that kind of thing, or bald taxes or whatever, flat feet maybe. There's no end to ingenuity to justify theft, you see. None at all. And the supercomputer that predicts revolution. See, the big boys are always pushing through things through the special computers. And feeding a supercomputer with new stories could help predict major world events, according to U.S. research. I'm sure they've had this thing for many, many years. And they feed in all the data around the world. And the computer spouts out if there's too much of uh, oppression in a, in a country through taxes or whatever, the people might rebel. And that's awfully important to folk today who run, run the world, is to see who's going to rebel next. Because they've got to make sure that they're way ahead of it and, and either nip it in the bud or make sure if they do rebel, they can use it as an opportunity for something else they've got up their sleeves. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. And just to make sure, it was Janet Reno uh, I was talking about earlier on. That's her name, this strange creature that works alongside Bill Clinton. Now I'll try and get a caller, and that was Kyle from Pennsylvania. Hanging on. Are you there, Kyle? Yes, sir. How are you doing tonight? Not too bad at all. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I just got done reading uh, Alistair Crowley's The Book of the Law yeah. and uh, the Goetia. In the original, I guess it was the Latin form. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I don't know if the stuff is real or not, but, uh, you know, do they, do they think it's real? And when you were talking earlier about, you know, the pedophiles with, you know, babies and children and stuff, is that, you know, a form of, you know, sex magic and, and stuff like Oh, yeah. That? Alistair Crowley was definitely into, into the sex magic side of things and, uh, so are his followers as well. He wrote quite a few books about it too. He also said too that the greatest sacrifice you could give for for power was uh, the killing of your firstborn child. And when he was over in a little place in Italy um, with his with his converts, you might say, or what you want to call them, um, his son died actually. And, it's, and it was a great place for it to happen. You pay any cop, they won't come near you. They'll just let you go. So anyway, there was a big stink about that, and wonder if they actually did it. Um, but he, he was psychopathic in nature and uh, charismatic again for the for the followers, and he was the one who started off going off to South America to get stoned, 
uh, taking the drugs and finding your power animal that became a rage through all the, um, the, the Masonic uh, propaganda that they give out since. Even right up to this day, there's guys out there still saying, go off to Latin America and find your power animal by drinking this, this juice, you know. So he was into all of that stuff. But they do believe, that they, they, or he did, he certainly believed in, in sexual magic. And um, he also was into channeling the demons, as he called it, you know. They called him what? The other monster of Loch Ness? Oh yeah, he, he, he actually bought over a house in, Lo- in Loch Ness and um, painted it up with pentangles and all the different symbols around the walls and floors and Jimmy Page bought that over and, and he lived there for a while. But um, Crowley uh, definitely was, was psychopathic in nature. A lot of drugs he was on. He died uh, borrowing money in fact for, for his hits of heroin and so on. Um, but he, it's up, he was up there with a, a, a lot of the elite are interested in this stuff. An awful lot of the elites. Yeah, and, that's what I was reading. Like, yeah. and, I, I, and he also his, his, his main channeler, I think he called Layla, was her nickname. There's another name for her, but she was called Layla. And uh, that Eric Clapton put that in one of his songs too, Layla. You know. And Beatles, they put him on the cover of Sgt. Pepper, and yeah. um, like uh, Led Zeppelin. They yeah. really, they really, really, you know, respected Alistair Crowley and tried to follow him. And so yes. I assume that at some level, I haven't quite gotten there yet, but I assume at some level it's all connects up to, you know, like Bohemian Grove and all that jazz too. Oh yeah, there's, there's organizations even above the, the Bohemian Grove, which are more exclusive in fact. Um, uh, and you understand all those that you see Bohemian Grove technically are still classed as workers for the system. Uh, they're in the public limelight. They have to travel around the world, give talks, or handle committees, or be CEOs. There's a group at the top which don't do that work, uh, and they, they're much higher, they're much older, and in depth religion than, than this. Yeah. Thanks again, Alan. Keep up all of the work, man. Uh, thanks for calling. And there's a very good documentary about Crowley too. I'll try and find it sometime. Put it up on the site. Remember, help support me. Keep this going if you like it, and. Um, Hopefully we can crawl along for maybe another few weeks. From Hamish myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you. <laughs>